Well done, Jess. Good job there, man. It was uh, wonderful to sing those wonderful medleys together, all about Jesus, eh? What a privilege. Um, it is an incredible privilege to be back in this great land. We live just over there, but we couldn't get over here, and we all know why. It's, things have been crazy, but I wasn't sure we'd ever get back here, to be honest. I didn't doubt, but I had some moments of wondering what's going to happen, and Gee, what a season, what a time. And I, I certainly, I, I don't want to highlight the negative stuff, but I do want to tell you in it all, God's done some radical things. And uh, I, I do want to commend you this morning. I mean that. I, 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 you know, my country, 35,000 churches shut down in COVID and have never opened again. That's a lot of churches. I don't know what your statistics are, but I'm sure you would have similar Churches that shut down, we all for a moment had to shut something down, but by the grace of God, we are open and we're carrying on with the plans and purposes. But 35,000 churches in America will never open again due to this crazy season. And I'm sure there's many reasons for that. It's troubling, breaks my heart. I'm sure it breaks your heart. I'm certainly not here to, uh, to throw rocks at any of those churches or the people. My heart just breaks. It's a bad reflection clearly on Jesus and also in the mission we've been called to. I, I, I kind of am convinced perhaps some of it, some, is that so many churches in North America and around the world have maybe been led by position-led leaders. And uh, how many of you know your position is not going to carry you into what God has for you? It's going to be your calling. And I'm seriously, like it's almost like all of us had an, an option and, an, and a moment, including me. If there's anything else you can do, go do it. And so many went and found something else to do. And that's great. Praise God, they found something else. But many of us, most of us came back to realize there's nothing else we can do. And how many know if there's nothing else you can do, then that's what you should be doing. And I think going forward for the church God's called us to be, it requires a call-led people who realize there's nothing else we can do. And so I do want to commend you. I'm not saying don't quit. I'm not saying if God has called you to something else, then don't go. I'm saying go do it. But those of you who've stayed the course, well done. Um, if you went to seminary, they never taught you any of this stuff. If you did Bible college we were never taught this stuff. If you were part of NCMI pre-COVID, we didn't know how to handle this stuff. We were anti-TV evangelists, and we all became TV evangelists. And, uh, and some of us did really well, and some of us did really bad. And, uh, and so I, I, um, what are we looking at? I want to have a look because you're all staring at my screen here. So, yeah, that's great. Water only. You get that? All right. And... Uh, yeah, you got that. Only water in here, Marcus. What's that coffee in here, bro? But okay. Um, but I, again, I just, I, I really want to say well done to you guys. I know Canada faced a, you know, without getting political, and I'm really not going to, but I do want to talk about some of the stuff. And man, you guys went through some stuff here, and I, I want to just commend you for staying the course and uh, for staying true to what it is God's called you to do and for carrying on and for continuing to serve the Lord and the people God's called you to serve. So well done. We are grateful. We are super grateful that you stayed the course. And I trust you've learned some lessons. How many of you know lessons are here to be learned? And may we learn them 
and adjust in them so we don't have to go through the crazy stuff again. Uh, and so I trust we are, and I'm sure over this time we're going to hear some of your stories of some of the good, some of the bad, I'm sure. But may we have learned, and I want to have learned, because, man, I, I hope we are set up better for the next whatever God has for us. I'm going to ask if you have a Bible, just to go with me to the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 20. I think it's a, it's a key text just to go back to, considering where we're at and what God's called us to. And uh, this morning, I, I want to just, I appreciate the opportunity just to talk to leaders. I realize you're not all elders in this room. But you're all leading God's people in some way. And I think it's always good to connect with the leaders before we have this great equip next, starting tonight with the people together. And just get us all on board together. And God wants to speak specifically, I believe, this morning to us as leaders. And I hope you're not hearing these messages for our people. We're hearing them for us. Because that's the danger in leadership. We always listen for what others need to hear. No, no, we need to hear what God's saying to us. Um, and I make no apologies. A lot of what you're going to hear is going to be stuff we have heard, but we need clear, clear and clarion call. We need to come back to the things that matter most. Um, and so we're going to read this text in a moment. But I, I want to say this, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm speaking out of some of the stuff I've also had to walk through. So it's not you guys, it's us. I want to say we're not to be distracted by what God's not doing because we're not able to see what God is doing. Don't be distracted by what God's not doing because you're not able to see what God is doing. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, Eugene Peterson's version, I Love Best, it says this, when people cannot see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God reveals, that's where they're most blessed. We can't be stumbling through this and but, when, but we've got to look to what God's doing in this season and say, okay, God, if you're doing that, we want to attend to those things because that's where we find the blessing of God. And that's where we get to walk in the things God has called us to. And so I've been one of these people who've been so distracted. What are you doing? Why are you, God? I'm, I'm, I'm angry at our government. I'm just being honest. I'm angry at the society. I'm angry at the world. I'm even disappointed in the church. I'm disappointed in leaders, and I realize that in all of that, I've been focusing on our thing rather than what has God been doing, and God's been doing a heck of a lot, if I can say it like a, a lot of stuff, if we would just dare look to what it is He's doing. I think some of the things God in this season has been doing is He's been realigning and repositioning us to where He wants us to be, not where we want to be, where He wants us to be. The book of Jonah <laughs> I'm back in the book of Jonah, and I don't like the book of Jonah because it's probably the most challenging truth in my life. God has challenged me through those four chapters. More than anything, those four chapters. And it's, a, it's not a book about a whale or a fish. It's a, it's a book about God's heart and God's plan and God's purpose. But the more you read the book of uh, Jonah, you realize that God had to position Jonah. It's almost, this is the revelation I've now understood a little more when it comes to the book of Jonah is that we are God's mission while we are on God's mission. We are His mission while we are on His mission. 
And some of us are all about mission for him, but he's got to do stuff in us. God had a, a call for Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. But Jonah ran away. And then you got a chapter and a half of Jonah on the run. And where God then had to deal with Jonah to get Jonah back to what God intended Jonah to do, to go to the city of Nineveh. Chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came a second time. Same word, same call. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach again. And finally, Jonah responded. Who changed? Not God. Jonah had to change. And so the challenge for us is that God, maybe in this crazy season, has had to reposition and realign us as we are His mission and we're on His mission. And if we can see we are His mission, then we can see a lot of what God has been doing in this season. I believe God's been reclaiming His church. And we know that the church is not a building, it's a people. So let me ask you this morning, has He reclaimed you? Have you allowed him to take what belongs to him, which is you? And those wonderful people that God has called you to lead belong to him. He's reclaimed his people, my church, my people, purchased with my blood that I've entrusted you to lead and point them to me. I also believe that it's not the self-indulgent immorality of the culture that we live in that hinders the work of God. It's probably more our self-sufficient mentality that we think we can do this and we cannot do anything without Him. And I think this season has shown, come back, without Him we cannot do anything. I believe God's been revealing more of Jesus to us so we can better represent Him to the people. I just want to tell you this morning, contrary to most preachers, the church is not about people. The church is a people who are about Jesus. And if we get that wrong, it's not semantics. It's a total different mindset. If it's about people, go for it. But you're missing what God's got. If it's a people who are about Jesus, it changes everything. I do believe this season God's brought us back to these realities I think the Global Church Foundation has been exposed through this season. And I think we've built the church on many great giftings and personalities and people and ministries, but not on Jesus Christ. And my connection, my prayer is coming out of this crazy season, we've reconnected with our, our head. We've reconnected with our bridegroom king. And we can do way more for him, not out of duty and religion, but out of uh, love because we can reconnect it to our head. I believe in this season, God has done a great reset. And I know that freaks people out when we say that, and I'm freaked out too. I'm not talking about the great reset out there. I'm saying the church needed some resetting. We needed to be reset to something of what God had for us. I think at times, if I can just be honest, we've been so focused on doing church, we actually forgot to be the church. <laughs> I believe there's been a refocusing. So many people to this day still say, what is God's will for my life? And while it's a good question, it's the wrong question. Leaders ask this question too. What is God's will for our church? And it's a great question, but it's a wrong question. I've asked this to, even for our team. What is God's will for our team? 
And here's the problem with that question. What we're doing is taking our team and squeezing God into what we're doing. The question is not what is God's will for us. The question is what is God's will? And how do we fit into that? And if you're doing it the other way around, you're going to be distracted. We're going to miss, and we're going to miss what God has for us, friends. And that's why the challenge this week or this year, this season has been God bringing us back. What is the will of God? And let's fit into God's will rather than let's do it the other way around. It changes how we minister. It changes how we build. It changes how I lead this team. I'm not asking what is God's will for us. I'm asking what is God's will and how do we fit into that? That keeps us focused in the right track. And I think one of the greatest things God's done in this season is released us from things in order to release us into greater things. You know, in 2020, I was in Australia in January and February, and I got in, and I felt God speak to me, it's going to be a season of release. So I went to Australia in January and February, and I preached in Australia. The Kiwis and New Zealanders were there, and we preached. And I went to all the regions and to our team and, all, and our churches, and I prophesied and preached. Season of release. And then we la- I landed back in the U.S., and the doors of the whole world shut down, locked down, locked up, whatever you want to call it. Within a week, we were, the whole world was shut down. And my Australian friends dared text me and say, well, how's that release looking, Tyron? To which I responded, I've never claimed to be a prophet. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, looking back, Over these last few years, we, the church, have been released from things, a a whole lot of things that we, the church, have been doing because this is what the church does, or this is what our culture does, or this is what we've been taught to do that's not been from God. And so God's released us from, but He doesn't just release us from for the sake of release, so He can release us into greater things. And so we might have less, but we've been given more. We might feel like we don't have what we had, but we've been given, things have been taken in order to make us more effective as we go forward. And I hope you see that, friend, that it's not just the gatherings and the numbers and the income. I'm sure you've lost. I've lost. We've lost friends. I've lost people. We've lost churches. We've had churches shut down or leave us through this crazy city. I've lost family members who've died because of COVID. We've got people in this room whose spouses have passed away. It's tragic. And I'm not trying to downplay the, the pain of this season. But some of the release that has happened has been God releasing us from some stuff so we can be more effective into some stuff. And the danger for us as God's people and leaders is to try and get back to what was. I've never met a person who doesn't want to go back. 2019, when our people come back. Let me just tell you, if they haven't come back, they're probably not coming back. And I don't want to get in your face, but you're wasting time waiting for people who've decided... Online's better for them. And just so you know, God never allowed COVID. He didn't send COVID. I just want you to know, if you think he did, you're wrong, and that's fine, but you're wrong. I know where this came from. If you want to tell, I'll tell you. Where, no, anyway, I'll just move on. But, but God used COVID. He'll use anything. But it wasn't to get the church online. It was to get the church out of the building. So now we online and in the building, but still not out there. we got to get out there, friend. And so I'm not anti-online. I am anti-thinking that's church because it's not. I wish it would be because I'd love to just be laying in my office right now sending you an email, a video saying, hey, I'm here. I hope you're having fun in Canada. No, I had to come here. Why? Because God wants us to be together. 
The more we play that online stuff, the less people want to come. I'm not trying to fight it. It's not either or. But if you've got to choose one, choose meeting together, not online. <laughs> I hope you're hearing that because some of us are buying into the online stuff. Online is not, you know, my dad, I mean, just can I bring my dad into this context for a moment? And my dad, I mean, he's awesome. I love my dad. And, and, but my dad is so practical. So he said to me one day, you know, Tyron, do you think that Jesus knew that the internet was coming? I'm like, of course. He knows everything. He said, isn't it interesting that he still had to leave heaven to come to earth to do the job? He couldn't do it through the internet. I'm like, yeah, point made. I can understand that. I'm just telling you, we need to gather according to Scripture. No matter what our government says, no matter what you think or your people think, God wants His people together. We need to be together. The church can't function online. And while it can become another means to have a greater impact, it cannot replace the very thing of a, church, of a family being together, God's people being together. So if you believe that, you're not insane. They are insane. Those who don't believe it, you're not losing your mind. Stick to the plan of God regardless of what comes our way. We've been released from in order to be released into. There's no going back. There's no pre-COVID. We're in a new season. God's done some things. We've got to shift accordingly and walk into the now and into the future that God has for us. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. Some people are gone. Some are coming. But it's not about the people. It's the people who are about Jesus. Stick to the plan. And I hope you're hearing my heart because I know it's been painful. But carry on with what God's called you to do. Acts chapter 20. Let's read verse 17. And yeah, Paul calls for these guys, and you know, when Paul was calling for them, he knew he's not going to see them again. How many of you know, you probably get to the point when you know you're not going to see people again? Maybe us preachers should get to the point. Maybe we should preach every message like it's our last, not in fear, but in reality. Think about the stuff we'll stop preaching if we thought this was our last preach. Make it count, because it could be your last. If I don't want to just, I mean... Hilton passed away recently. After being in our team meeting together in South Africa, he went back to his house and after that he passed. Uh, that, you just don't know. Mike Hanshard, many of you know Mike Hanshard on our track. Also, Prophetica passed away recently. It's just death comes. And, and I'm not trying to bring fear, but guys, there's no guarantee you get to preach tomorrow on Sunday. And if you do, best you preach like it's your last message because it might be and make it count. Rather than going through a series that, with all due respect, is irrelevant to anyone except you. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm just, uh, time is short. Make it count. Rather than discuss some irrelevant theology that has no relevance on anyone except your brain. You, you with me? I said to the guys, I'm, I'm confused by what they're saying. And now they're going to preach this to the poor people. And I'm a simple guy. Give me truth. Anyway, I probably lost half of you. Come back, all right? Tonight's going to be way better than this. But I'm not saying don't. Just be, ask yourself this question. Did God call me to say these things? Or is this something I would like to discuss? And if it's from God, then go for it. If it's not, put it aside and discuss it around a coffee table rather than declare it to God's people when it's irrelevant for where we are and who God's called us to be. <laughs> Woo. All right. Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus. Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. 
I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Now, that's what I was saying earlier. Paul said, I did not preach any, uh, I never hesitated to preach anything that was not helpful to you. Think about us preachers for a moment. When we preach, are we preaching what's helpful to them or helpful for me as the preacher? I guarantee if we're really honest, a lot of what we're preaching is this is going to help me, so I want you to hear this. We should be thinking, how does this help you? That's why I'm sharing this. I did not hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful to you or for you. But I've publicly, I taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. May I just remind you, we do not make the gospel acceptable to man. The gospel makes us acceptable to God. Keep that reality when you preach the gospel. Verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to, happen to me. I only know that in every city and Holy, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Can I just stop and say, He does not say my life is worth nothing. Very hard to lead God's people call-led if you think your life is worth nothing. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul did not say, my life is worth nothing. This is what Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me. In other words, I belong to someone else. I've laid my life down. It matters. And I need you to understand, pastors and leaders and elders this morning, that your life matters, not based on the size of your church or how many people are still there or the ministry you carry. Your life matters, period. You matter so much, Jesus came for you. Only you, yes, only you. Everyone but you, including you. Are you there? So when you read this, don't think lowly of yourself. Understand you're so highly important that he died for you. He purchased you with his, he gave his life for you. That's what Paul's saying. I consider my life worth nothing to me. Don't forget the to me, but everything to him. See that? Listen to people preach this text for many years. When I read, they're missing the point to me. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. Now, I'm a big believer in finishing the race. In actual fact, that's been my message. And someone, Ryan Peters, actually took my messages on finishing the race and wrote a book. Apparently, I wrote a book. I never wrote a book. Apparently, I've written four. He's taken my stuff and he's put it out there. But one of them was to finish the race. I believe we've got to finish the race. How many of you believe that? But do you know, at times I've been so focused, here's a confession, on finishing the race, I forget there's another side, it's also to complete the task. 
There's a difference between finishing the race and completing the task. Finishing the race is about crossing that line. How many of you know if you're so focused on crossing the line, you're forgetting the completing the task on the way to crossing and finishing the line? We've got to get better as God's people, as finishing the task, completing tasks, not just finishing the race. So for us, it's all about tasks. You better focus on the race. Us, all about the race. We better look at some of the tasks. We've got some tasks to complete as God's people. And Paul said, if only I may finish the race and complete the tasks. There's a lot of scripture that talks about finishing the race and completing tasks. Now, I'm just, just challenging us this morning pre COVID, during COVID, out of COVID. There's some tasks to still complete. Don't go back. Complete some tasks rather than let's move into the new season, the next thing God has. No, no, there's stuff to finish and there's stuff to complete. And I'm asking you under God, not because I, are you completing the task? Have you completed the task? I've had to ask some of those questions in the place I live, the church I planted. I'm still based there and I'm like, okay. And the Lord's challenged me through these texts again. Complete the task. Don't just look to the next thing. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. In other words, fulfill my destiny. Finish the ministry my Lord has assigned me to. Now friends, completed obedience establishes a generational echo. You've got to hear this. If we're about the next generation, we better finish our race. We've got to complete our task. You want the next generation to walk in their thing? We better finish walking in ours in order for them to walk in theirs. There's a generational echo it comes from completing tasks. We have to complete what God's called us to do or given us to do. It matters because of those things. So if no one else sees it, if you're feeling like I'm just going to move on, no, no, you need to finish what God's called you because others are going to walk in the benefit of what you're walking in now. Let's think generational. God of generations and of nations. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God thinks generationally. He doesn't think daily like we do. So your thing that you're doing matters, and the fact you're still doing it is because there's a purpose behind it, not just for now, but for generations to come. Stay the course, contend, and stay true to who God's called us to be, because others are going to walk in the blessing of us finishing the task. Verse 25, he says, Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom, please see that, preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And here's his challenge. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, I, I kind of think, give me some leeway here, to complete, to finish the race, you've got to keep watch over yourself. To complete the task, you've got to watch over the flock. You with me? To finish the race, I've got to keep watching over myself too. But to complete the task, I've got to look and be the overseer of what I've been entrusted with. We need both. And Paul says to these guys, keep watch over yourself and the flock to which you've been called an overseer. I'm going to say to you this morning, keep watch over yourself and 
the flock to which the Holy Spirit calls you. Be shepherds, he says. Be. Interesting. He doesn't say do shepherding. Be shepherds. Got to be it, not do it. Very different. If you're a doer of these things, doesn't mean you are it. You've got to be it in order to do it. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I just want to land there and just read one more text. You don't need to turn there. It's just two verses that have, again, gripped my attention over this last season. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. Paul says this. He says, be on your guard. Can I say it like this? Stay alert. He says, stand firm in the faith. Can I say it like this? Hold firmly to all that you believe. Be men of courage. Be strong. And then in verse 14, he says, do everything in love. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. (laughs) Eugene Peterson's message says this, keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Be resolute, resolute and love without stopping. There's some commands in there for us, friends. In light of keeping watch over ourselves and the flock to which we've been called overseers, be alert, stand strong, hold to what you truly believe. How many of you know we've been tested on everything we believe? And I I want to encourage you, it matters what you believe, and you need to stand true to what you believe, because everything that can be shaken is being shaken, except that which is the kingdom will stand. And we as God's people need to be alert and be aware, especially as leaders, because the ramifications of our decisions have not just for us, but for the people God's entrusted us to lead. So I I encourage you this morning, stand true, stay the course, be men and women of courage. It takes courage, not a feeling, it's a revelation that comes from God. Are you with me, friends? So my, my talk this morning is around some of the dangers of the season, and it's probably not an encouraging heading, but it is some things we need to be aware of. And let me just say this. We cannot live and lead out of the flesh. My job is leaders, unfortunately. And I, I'm just not pointing fingers. My observation is that many leaders... God's leading God's people, overseeing their lives and God's people, are making decisions in the flesh. We're doing things in reaction and observation rather than out of revelation. And that's a dangerous thing because we will head down the wrong way again for the next shaking, it's going to fall again. Can Can I say this? Seek revelation rather than imitation. Guys are already writing books on how to survive COVID and how to lead God's people through COVID. Gosh, we don't need another book. We need to come back to Scripture and not how did you do it. How are we called to lead God's people through crisis after crisis, through the next thing? It's not going to come by imitating what others are doing. And God's entrusted you and I to lead His people, not so we can imitate what others are doing, so we can hear God and respond to what God's saying in seasons, through times. Learn from others, but do what He tells you to do. 
Is that okay, friends? I know it's easier to watch others and learn from others and imitate them. We're not called to be imitators of others. We're called to live and lead God's people through revelation. Don't do what everyone else is doing. Do what God's told you to do. That's all. I know that's uh, pretty simple, but we need some simplicity now. Don't get confused. Can I say this? And I know it's contrary to a lot of the preachers today. Ask God for direction, not for permission. If you want to guarantee you're walking in the will of God, listen, the only one who can take you out of God's will, are you ready, is you. No one else. The devil can't take you out of God's will. Only you can. By being deceived, what is God's will? And the way we get deceived, because we've got great preachers, very good orators who tell you dream with God and go and dream with God. I'm not anti-dreaming with God, because I, but I don't want to dream with God. I want God's dream, and I want to know what He's called me to. I don't go to God and say, God, I want to do this. Can you give me your blessing? Because you'll find someone who will give you God's blessing. I'm just telling you, I've had that in my life. Yeah, yeah, God's in that. When God's not even near that. Here's what we should be doing. What is your direction? What would you have me do? That's way more effective and safe to stay in His will is if you ask Him for direction rather than go to Him for permission. Is that all right, friends? I think part of the problem we've seen globally in the church is that we had too many leaders who walked in permission rather than direction. Not throwing rocks. We've also had some of that. I want to fix it by saying, give me direction rather than give me permission. Cannot lead God's people. Cannot live and lead in the flesh. You cannot live and lead in fear. Now, I know fear has gripped people, and I realize there's a fear factor that's all gripped. And I've walked through some of that too. I'm not... But let me tell you what happens is that fear rises in the absence of faith. And faith is not a feeling. <laughs> faith is linked to a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. He's the author, the perfecter, the finisher, the completer of our faith, Jesus Christ. That's what the Hebrews writer tells us. And so faith, if you, if you lack faith, then, you're gonna, then fear will rise. And we can have moments, but we can't have a lifestyle of fear leading God's people. Some, someone said this, we preach for the absence of criticism rather than for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and I love you Canadians, but it seems like the Canadians have been forced to not talk about things that matter. And I, we fear the reaction of people rather than for the backing of the Holy Spirit. Pick, pick. But if you're living in fear, honestly, friend, and I get it, we're going to maybe end up in trouble for some of the things we say. Back, let heaven back what you're saying rather than people love what you're saying. Is that it? <laughs> Another thing is fatigue. Wow. Hello. Fatigue, a real thing, right? Battle weary. My word. I mean, what a battle. We didn't even know what this battle was. We were, I'm leaving, I'm out, I don't like a church, mask, no mask, vaccines, vaccine. I'm, I'm not getting political. That is exhausting. Doesn't matter what you believe. What is they saying? What are they saying? We don't like fatigue. Now, can I just say to you, because some of you in this room this morning carrying uh, spiritual fatigue, and I get it, because you battle weary. Hopefully, this weekend God's going to do stuff. I believe He will. But can I just say this? Never make decisions in despair. I've watched through this season in our ranks some of the guys give up God's inheritance for them because of their tired and weary stages they've been in. 
close churches down, merge with us. And I'm not anti-merging. Are you with me? I'm not talking about any of those. Just have you heard God? Rather than this is a survival tactic. Buildings. Now, we're not about buildings. I mean, I'm grateful for your building, and I love what you've done here. It looks amazing. And if we didn't have this, we'd be out in the cold having a meeting, and it would be looking very different to this, just so you know. So I'm all for buildings, but but we're not about buildings because Jesus is not coming back for this. We all say that. But I watched through COVID where people were presented. God gave. People before fought for generations, gave their inheritance in order for facilities to be purchased and bought. And I watched guys phone me and say, mm, not sure we need this building anymore. We're going online. I don't, and I, I had to stop them and say, how dare you give away what God gave you? That building does not belong to you or your church. It belongs to God. So best you ask God if you can give this building away. Because it sounds like you're doing something in despair because you can't afford it, don't have the income, you're worried. All these things that matter, but they don't matter if God gave it to you, best keep it. Despair. And now they phone me back and say, praise God we hung on because we got through this. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a building. We have to start again. It's harder to buy buildings financially, yes, but also approval from governments. They're taking business, church, and it's harder to get approvals. Are, are you there? We can do this, friends, but like, oh, I'm not sure I need that anymore. Who's decided that? You despair. Don't make a decision in despair. You'll regret that decision every single time. Fatigue is a real thing. Go to God, have a break. Don't make decisions that are going to have regrets for you and God's people. You don't have the right to give away what God gave you. The battle is blazing. Some are battle weary. And I'm just going to say this. We must fight the battles we call to, not the battles we're invited into. That's probably the biggest lesson for leaders here this morning. Just because you're invited into a battle doesn't mean you're called to that battle. And I believe most of burnout, if I can just go there for a moment, is because we're fighting battles God hasn't called us to, to fight. Because we've, we've entered a battle we were invited to, not a battle God's called us. And if we've ever seen that, this season's shown us that. Can I just ask you, the battle you're in right now, were you invited into that or is it God's battle for you? And if it's not, stop fighting. Stop. Give it up. Walk away from that battle and fight only that which God has called you to. And the next battle that comes your way, when you invite it in, best you find out it's God or not. And if it's not God, best you stay out of it, even if you lose those people. Jesus, I've been invited into some battles over this season. Tyrone, you lead. Put a thing up of Ukraine. Put a thing up of Black Lives Matter. I'm just, why don't you put this up? Why do you put this up? Why haven't you said? Why don't you comment? Because they know my battles. Work it out for yourself. I'm just trying to stick to Scripture here. Just so you know, I'm not against a Ukraine, but if you put a Ukraine thing, then what about Russia? We've got churches there too. What do we do with them? Oh, well, they're bad. No, their government's bad, not them. Are you with me? When you, put, when you pick one, you polarize it. Just stop playing the political game or even the, the cultural game and come back to kingdom. I'm not anti. Are you with me? We give more money to what's going on there than anyone else, I think. But just so you know, it's not for one or the other. It's for helping God's people wherever we can. Just know that if you don't put a black thing up, then you're anti this. I'm not anti any of that stuff. I'm just called to fight the battles I'm called to fight. Or Tyron, you need to make a statement. To who? To the world. About what? What you believe. Well, if they don't know what I believe now, they shouldn't be walking with us. But for me to have to publicly put up something on social media. Can I just say this? Social media is an absolute cesspool 
of where we are killing and taking out each other. Now, I'm not anti-social media, but I am anti-social media. Because I've watched us take each other out, even in our ranks. Team members going after each other for vaccine, passport, not vaccine, you fake, you not. All this nonsense. Just let me say this, pray before you post. And when you pray before you post, you post very little. Or if you do post, you post what God says, not your great opinion that is irrelevant. You know, you know what? Social media, you know what it's done? It may not have enabled the lame to walk, but it has absolutely enabled the dumb to speak. And you know what? The dumb are speaking, and they might be in this room this morning. Stop being dumb. I hope you're not offended, but someone needs to stop this nonsense. It's crazy. I mean, if you've got an opinion, who cares? Listen, I'm American. We've got some opinions, as you know. I'm just watching us take each other out, destroying each other, standing for one against the other. Guys, exhausting, fatigued. Don't get into those fights. Can I get in trouble for a moment? And please hear my heart. I don't have an anti, I'm not anti- Jesus was for things, not anti-things. You don't say, Jesus, I'm anti-you and I'm anti-he. I'm for. You knew what he was for. In a sense, knowing what he's for, you would know what he's against. But it wasn't anti, he was for. And when you stand for a culture in your culture, you're putting God's people in bondage that you called to lead. Because you've made a stand for a grouping of people in your culture, you forced your church to buy into that stand you're making, which makes them feel bad if they don't believe that, which is in a sense taking God's people who've been saved out of, saved into, now feeling bad because they don't believe. We're identifying with cultures around at the expense of the people God's called us to lead. Your job as a leader, elders in this room this morning, you're going to give an account to God for the people you called to lead, not the culture you're trying to reach. And if you so want to identify with culture to reach them at the expense of the people you've been entrusted with, you're in danger of putting them in bondage when your job is to keep them free. On all cultural clashes that are coming our way going forward. (laughs) And I always see some young people in this room, stand for Jesus with Jesus. Don't get caught up in the nonsense. You'll never win a cultural battle if you're fighting a cultural battle with culture. Stick to the truth and let the chips fall where they fall. Jesus was very happy for those to walk away from what he said or those to walk with him. He didn't beg them. He didn't ask them to change. He didn't change strikes that they would. He just told them this is what it means. And it's not that we don't do it lovingly. It just means we do what God's called us to do. Let people make decisions. Is, is that okay? I know it's a big subject, and I know Canada, you guys are at another level with this stuff. I'm just telling you, church, stick to the plan. Elders, leaders, stick to the call of God. But don't bring God's people into bondage because you have to identify with a certain color or creed or people that your people are free. Now they're in bondage because you've made a statement they have to back. Is that okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's awesome. But I think you would all know what I'm talking about. So I hope you can hear my heart behind that. I've just watched 
pastors get so stuck in this thing that people are getting into bondage. Keep them free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm in your freedom. Stay on the wall. <laughs> stay, pastors, stay on the wall. That's my challenge to you this morning. Stay on the wall. You don't have to go and get the people who've left. Stay on the wall. They know where you are. You haven't moved. You're still here building. Work with those who are on the wall rather than trying to get those who are off the wall back on the wall at the expense of those who are on the wall who will get off the wall if you don't stay on the wall. All in all, we're just another brick in the wall. But I mean that. Some of you with shepherd hearts that God's given you, and you read this text I've just read, and you go, yeah, we've got to go. No, no, don't go after them. They must come to you. Can I say stick to feeding the sheep, not entertaining the goats? I mean that. Because a lot of those who are off the wall are goats who are not interested in working with you. They just want to waste your time. Stick to feeding the sheep. Stay on the wall. They know where you are. Tell them to come meet you on the wall if they want to have a connection and a time. But don't waste your time getting off the wall. Look, read the book of Nehemiah and see. He wouldn't get off the wall for those who wanted to meet. They knew where he was. He said, come and walk with me. But we're so busy trying to get people back. We're missing who God's given us. They're going somewhere else if we don't work with them. Is that, is that cool? I read this. Listen to this statement. Too many are seeking a seat at the table that Jesus would flip over. Too many are seeking a seat at the table that Jesus would flip over. We want to be so in the connecting of our cities and cultures. We want to be at the table with those people that Jesus would have flipped those things over, but we're trying to find a seat there. Stick to what God's called you to. With me, friends, another thing is we can't live and lead in this season out of frustration. <laughs> Put your hand up if you have not been frustrated. Thank you for being honest. It's been an incredibly frustrating season. How many of you know you can't lead God's people out of frustration or in frustration? Can I say, take it to the Lord, not to your people. When you're frustrated, go to God, not to the people. Be very careful, us who have the privilege to lead and preach, that we're not giving our frustration off to the people, putting them in bondage. Our job, like Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? David was crying out to the Lord in frustration, saying, how long? But his how long was living in the place of him to the Lord, not him to the people. And then he moves on and says, but you've been good to me. In the same text, how long, but you've been good to me. We've got to live in how long, but you've been good to me. And can I suggest our how long should be us in our closet with the Lord going how long, and our public persona to people is, but he's been good to us. If we're going to stir them to have courage with all the negativity and the stuff that's taking away our courage. It's not fake, it's good leadership. So if you're frustrated, take it to the Lord, not to the people. Here's some phrases taken from various verses that speak directly on how to wait. And I'm learning to wait because it's been, just so you know, incredibly frustrating for me to be locked up in America for a few years. I love my country, but get me out of that country. I love America, but 
Yeah, okay. And my calling, my job is to go, and I was called to stay, stuck at home. And I love my house, and I first time in since 12 years of living in Denver did I actually experience all four seasons. I've never had all four seasons. It's an amazing place in spring and fall, winter. It's like, wow, this because I'm usually gone most of the time. And so I've been, how long am I going to be in these four seasons? Two full four years, four, four seasons, two, two full, whatever. Twice, full four seasons. I've had some how long moments, but I couldn't get on the, 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 the uh, Zoom meetings globally and say, how long? And I'm mad. I'm fr- I gotta, and then come and tell these wonderful pastors and leaders how awesome they're doing. Why? Because you've got to find courage and encouragement. I'm not saying be fake. I'm just be wise. Lead people wisely, not in, not in frustration. And so I've come back to Scripture, and here's some phrases taken from Scripture. Wait in expectation, Psalm 27, 14. Be strong, Psalm 27, 14. Take heart, Psalm 27, 14. Trust, Proverbs 3, 5. Don't rely on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. Acknowledge Him, Proverbs 3, 6. Don't be afraid, Psalm 27, 3. Be still, Psalm 37, verse 7. Be diligent, Proverbs 21, 5. Lay requests before Him, Psalm 5, verse 3. Delight in Him, Psalm 37, verse 4. Commit your plans to the Lord, Proverbs 16.3. Don't wear yourself out, Proverbs 23, verse 4. The Bible teaches us what to do in waiting. And it's not moan to the people of how God has disappointed us. Hello. So let's go back to understand how long, but don't live and lead in frustration and think we're going to be effective in where God's called us to go. Are you there, friends? This has become a little more of a revelation for me. Can I just give you a quick few points and then I want to get to what I came to say and we're going to have lunch. I came to say some of the, 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 the uh, challenges or the, uh, what did I say, the uh, concerns of this season or the, what's this heading I had? Dangers of this season. We're getting there, God willing, otherwise the next year. But just let me just say this quickly. Leaders, we need to remember this. Please hear this. Number one, we are sons and daughters first. Now, I know we know this, but I promise you, I have not lived this, and it's become a greater revelation for me. I'm a son, and you're a daughter, those of you who are before you anything else. First son and daughter. If you don't remember this, you will not keep watch over yourself. You'll not finish the race. You will not live in any of the stuff God has for us if we don't settle with sons and daughters first. It's Easier to lead God's peoples as a, people as a son and daughter rather than as a leader. So, so let me say this. Don't go to him as your download. Go to him as your father. We need to be fathered, not downloaded. And leaders, I get the pressure of coming up with the next thing. What's God saying? But can I tell you, you're not a son or a daughter if you're going for the next thing. My parents live in Australia, and Australia, believe it or not, was pretty locked up and shut down too, almost like other countries here. So I couldn't go and see them for the whole of the COVID time. And finally, the doors opened, and I was able to go in August. It was awesome. It was wonderful to go. But let me tell you, I didn't sit at the table with my parents. I said, Dad, I'm here. What do you want to tell me? Having dinner with my folks. Hey, Dad, so I'm here. Is there anything you want to tell me? I'm here. I said, it's our time to be with you. Is there something you'd like to download while I'm... And my dad would be like, what is wrong with you, son? 
if I want to have something to say, I'll say it. But, but if I don't, we just hang in. How about having that relationship with your Father in heaven? Rather, give me a download. How about just having time with your Father? That is a son and a daughter. And if you get revelation, awesome. If you don't, as awesome, you got to connect with your Father. But don't tell me He's your Father when you're only, only going to Him for a download. You're in the, you will burn out. You will not carry the life God's intended. And you'll never finish this race. I'm telling you, pastors, elders, leaders, whatever your position is in the church, out of the church, whatever, you're a son or a daughter first and foremost, and that's what you'll always be. You won't all be pastors forever. You won't all be leaders in the church, but you will always be a son and daughter. That's how it starts, and that's where you better finish. Find your identity in sonship, daughters, sons, not Ministry and position. Minister from that position rather than for that position. Now, I've sat with the Lord a whole lot more just saying, Dad, Father, rather than give me my download for the day. I need to preach to nations and people. What's next, Lord? Just how awesome is that? I get to sit with my Father. Let me tell you, I prep and I put aside, but when I get up to preach, it's more life-giving than I've got a download of notes because I've been with my Father. How can you give life if you haven't connected with the giver of life? You want to be effective in ministry? Get on your knees and enjoy your Father, and the benefits will come with that. But if you are going to Him for stuff at the expense of, as a father, friend, He's not your Father. There's something wrong with your relationship, and it needs to shift today. You're a son and a daughter first. See, our identity sets the tone for all we are, all we do, and all we'll ever become. And I know that there's people today like, can you be my father? And I understand the whole father thing, and I need a father. But let me tell you, you don't need a father. You just need God the Father to be your father. I have people come and say, Tyrone, would you be my father? And I love what they're saying. I'm like, no, not your father. I will play a role in being a father figure, but I'm not your father. You've got to spread. The Bible teaches us our father in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray, our father. You have a father who's better than any other father. Go to your father, not for download, just to be your father. And when you do that, you're going to be effective in a ministry and calling God has for you. In him, we're significant. In him, we're sufficient. In him, we're secure. Number one, you are sons and daughters first. So be that before anything else. Secondly, we are still sheep. <laughs> I love to talk about the stuff we go to do, but I'm just going to tell you we are sons. Secondly, we're sheep. You will never graduate from being a sheep. And somehow we still think today, the moment I become a shepherd, I'm now graduating from being a sheep. Therefore, all my sheep needs are dealt with because now I'm a shepherd. Wrong. You will always be a sheep, even if you're operating as a shepherd. So if you don't go to the true shepherd to meet your sheep needs, the danger of that is you've got to go to the sheep to meet your sheep needs which is what we see in the church today. I need the church to meet my needs because I don't know how to go to the Father to meet my needs. Now, I want to say this again. If you're an elder here this morning, you're still a sheep. If you become an elder into the future, you will always be a sheep. 
you will always have sheep needs. The difference between elders and those who are not is that elders have learned to go to the shepherd to get their sheep needs met. But you'll never graduate from being a sheep. You're still sheep. So be a sheepy before you're a shepherd. Get that stuff dealt with, my dear friends. Because I think part of the falling of what's happened recently, and I'm not throwing rocks at some of the elders in the past, the big ministries have fallen. Here we go again. I don't throw rocks, but maybe we've allowed people to take the needs rather than God himself. You'll never finish the race and complete the task if you don't understand you're a sheep. You'll always be a sheep. We don't deal with our sheep needs daily. We end up needing the sheep, meet, sheep to meet our needs daily. And it's very dangerous. You know, Psalm 23 is a psalm we should be meditating on regularly, not at weddings or uh, sorry, funerals. I don't know why we bust out Psalm 23 to someone who's dead. I'm just going to tell you, David didn't write that at a funeral. He wrote that at a revelation of times he was walking through stuff. Don't make it a funeral psalm. Make it a lifelong destiny of the Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. If the Lord is not your shepherd, you will lack everything. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. No needs. Why? He meets my needs. Marriages, man, you want to know, most counseling in marriages, if we do marriage counseling and divorce, it's because we have expectations of our spouses that only God can give us. Most people leave the church because they have expectations of their leaders that only God can give them. Most people burn out because they have expectations of their people that only God can give them. If we just go to God as sheep, we'll be far more effective as sheep. I'm going to tell you this morning, you're a sheepy. You will always be a sheep till Jesus comes back. So when we read the text about sheep, it means you too. When we talk about readying the bride, you're part of that bride. You're not just the readier of the bride. You're the bride getting ready for the bridegroom to return. Are you there, my dear friends? It's very dangerous to get the sheep to meet your needs. Thirdly, we are servants. We're servants. So we are sons and daughters, we're sheep, we're servants. Leadership requires service and sacrifice. Sacrifice, surrender, and serve. Don't be served. I think we've learned some of those lessons again. But you're not in ministry or leadership to be served. Read scriptures of what Jesus did, how he served. That's how we're called to serve. We also are shepherds. So we... Sons and daughters, sheep, servants, shepherds. You see how the Bible just alliterates so wonderfully for us. We're shepherds. We're shepherds. And I want to tell you that I think that shepherding is more to do with motive than anything. It says of David in Psalm 78, 72, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. And with skillful hands he led them. Motive is everything. Can I just say again, people don't care how much you know until how much you care. They need to know how much we care, not how much we know. 
I, I know that people frustrate. I know that it's hurt. I know people bite. I know sheep bite. I get the whole. But I want to tell you, if you've lost your love for shepherding God's people, you need to get on your knees today and ask God to give you that love back. Because we are not called to do shepherding. We're called to be shepherds. And I also say this, we need to affirm those who bear fruit, but we also need to redeem those who fail. Yeah, I don't want to get into all those tragic stories of some of the biggest church names, and I know they have fallen, and they continue to fall. And, but here's what I've broken my heart, not just that they've fallen, but how people have gloated in their sin. And can I just say, some of us with smaller churches, you see what happens when you're a big church, you fall. That's not biblically right. It's not true. And if you're in pointing fingers, you're probably going to, just let me warn you, you're in danger of falling. You know, when, when Saul died, was killed, David was the rightful king to be, right? We know the story. In actual fact, if, if David's own men said, let's take out Saul, you'll be king. And David said, never. And when David finally fell, I mean, when Saul died, David didn't rejoice. It's now my time. Watch. It says he lamented. He wept how the mighty have fallen. We need some of that in the church again. And while there's some sorting out and God's doing some stuff, my heart is broken by some of the big name guys that have fallen recently. Honestly, I care about them. I care about their family. I care about the church. I care about not just, yeah, okay, good. We knew. We knew they were not good. No, no, friend. Be careful. But here's what we got to get better at. And I read this. Someone sent me an article. It broke my heart. It was from an a, uh, um, a, a atheist who wrote a thing about one of these guys who fell morally, and there was a big fall in New York. I'll just leave it at that. And they sent me a thing, and, and I read it, and it's, this is what the, the, uh, the, the atheist wrote. He said that he's standing with that guy to see him and help him through it. And he said this about it. He said, Christianity is the only organization that bury their dead, or bury their wounded, sorry, bury their wounded. I read that, and it literally punched me in the gut. We do bury our wounded. When you fall, we just bury you. Thanks for your memories. Let's move on. I dare associate myself with you because if I do, then people will talk bad about me. Do you think Jesus would have buried those who've been wounded? He would have restored them. I'm not saying back to ministry, but at least restored them in dignity and seen them back in marriage and healthy. And we've got to get better at restoring the wounded. I prophesy over you and I and Canada in this that there are wounded that God wants you to bring back to restoration. Are you willing or will you just bury them like everyone else? And so part of a shepherd's heart is we affirm those who are doing well and we redeem those who are failing. We're very good at affirming the guys who are doing well because it makes us look good. But I want to suggest we've got to get better at redeeming those. Who've fallen. We are stewards. We are also stewards. No steward is faithful. They own nothing, but they have access to everything. I've used this illustration before, but I love to ride motorcycles. Sorry, that's my sin right there. And Harley Davidson's, that's even more of a sin. And here's the thing in America, in, 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 in uh, Colorado, you don't even have to wear helmets. Now, that's a real sin, I know. Just let me sin in my own sin, all right? But 
And so one day I was, I mean, I've used this as, I had a, I have a, someone gave me a Harley, another whole story. I was, had that and my friend came to visit me and so he rented a Harley and we rented and we rode up the Rockies together. It was awesome. And then we got to the top of the, the uh, Estes Park and it was wonderful. And then, then he said, I, like, I just did it because you do it. But just if you're a Harley rider, here's the etiquette. You never say yes. Okay, just, I'm about to. So I said to my mate, hey, like I was on my bike, he was on a rented bike. I said, hey, do you want to ride my bike back? Now, I didn't expect him to say yes, right? You don't say yes when someone asks you want to ride your Harley. So I said, do you want to ride my bike back? He goes, yeah. I was like, what? No, okay, so. So I want to tell you, riding back was very different to riding there. Because when I was riding up there on my bike, I do what I want. I was having a ball. This is my bike. When I rode someone else's bike, I realized when I get down that mountain, this bike has to go back to its rightful owner. I better be a little more cautious and careful because enjoy the ride, but the bike's not mine. I'm just going to say to you, enjoy the ride, but what you're riding is not yours. Stewards. Have access to everything but own nothing. That church that God's in trust, she doesn't belong to you. Enjoy her, but she's not yours. You're giving her back to the one who owns it. We need to be stewards. And then lastly, we need to be seers. Seers. Now that's not prophets, but we need to be prophetic. How many of you, God hasn't called us to lead His people without seeing. We've got to see, friends. I believe we've got to seek God. The church that is man-managed, instead of God-governed, will always fail. And so we've got to seek God. We've got to understand seasons. I want to just say, stay in His appointed place and go at His appointed pace. Stay at His appointed place and go at His appointed pace. Sometimes we want to go when He says stay, then you better stay. Sometimes we want to stay when He says go, then you better go. But it's not just place, it's also pace. And we're not good at pacing and keeping in step with God. We either go before Him or we stay behind. We've got to be better as seers keeping to His place and pace. You can't catch it on a podcast or through a book or through pre-COVID. It's got to be us in step with God. And I say make decisions, future decisions based, don't make future decisions based on the present. Make present decisions based on the future. It's a very different way of looking at it. We need to see what God's doing. Fresh revelation, helping others find their place, fitting into where God has it. Let me say this. I, 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 I've been preaching this because I, I felt God really challenged me and speak to me. And I, I felt Him say that some of us in leadership, leading God's people, have become Jesse's. And what I mean by that is we don't even recognize what we have in our own house. We're so busy looking out of our house to who's out there we can get in. Jesse didn't see David even as his son because he wasn't invited to the party to be chosen. The very one God intended to become the king of Israel was overlooked by his own father in his household. And I just, I challenge us. We so want to see God bring people in that we're missing who God's already given us. I say that work with who you have, not who you want. Because I believe Jesse, there's David's in your house. I believe there's David's in our house, in the NCMI, where we're so busy looking for who's, 
God's saying, look in your own household. That's what we need to be doing. Not who's good for us, who's God called. Recognition by God. Does that make sense? Just, uh, I just threw this in if I can. We nearly, we're about to have lunch. Gee, I didn't get to one, but. Local churches, local churches that limit. Can I just throw this in? You know, local churches are called to release people, not be straight jackets that hold people. Let me just say this. Some ways that the local church can become a straight jacket. A few of these. When church leaders are the only ones viewed as ministers. If we only view church leaders as ministers, we're becoming a straight jacket church, holding on, limiting God's people. Everybody's called to minister, not just church leaders. Can I say this? When business leaders are only valued for their financial giving. <laughs> when pastors are empire builders. Let me say this. This limit, local churches that limit, is that when preaching centers on the escape, on escape rather than on engagement. When we preach on how to escape what we're facing rather than engage what we're facing, it's a church that limits. And I think a lot of preaching today is about escaping rather than engaging. Jesus didn't come about escaping. The Holy Spirit wasn't given to us to escape. He's given to us to engage and transform, not to hold on and survive. And I've listened over the season how we began to preach on escape rather than engage. You're going to limit God's people if you don't get them to engage again. I think the churches that limit God's people is when the view of the kingdom is mystical. I'm hoping tonight, or one of the sessions, to talk around the kingdom. When we have a mystified, the kingdom vision is mystical, you're going to limit God's people. And I, I don't fully understand, but there's enough truth in what the kingdom is. It's not this mystical thing that we're aiming for, but have no idea what it looks like or what we're hitting. Can I also say the churches that limit uh, local churches when young people are not matured and discipled? Not just all young people. We've got to be intentional with them. Not here's pizza, watch a movie, and we'll see you on Monday. No, no, friend. Engaging them, maturing them, and bringing them to discipleship. I've realized this that a church that values performance over discipleship will produce performers, not disciples. When leaders are not nurtured and sent out, is a church that limits God's people. Can I also just say when leaders are micromanagers? If you're a micromanager, you're going to limit God's people. You've got to trust God. Let God be God. You don't have to be involved in everything and all the decisions. You don't have to have your hand in it. Just open your hands and let God's people go. Watch what God can do with His people in His church. If you just make room for God's people. So just stay in this thing of being a people of purpose and priorities, all right? Stay there. Be about purpose and priorities. God's not committed to your and my dreams. committed to His purpose. If we've seen anything in this season, His purpose matters, and He'll do whatever it takes to get us back to His purpose. The Word of God reveals God's plan, all right? It's not some other mystified thing. The Word of God shows us the plan of God. Like Ken Grenfell, 2019. Remember Ken, you know Ken Grenfell? He's still around, he's still here, and uh, he lives in Virginia, and he prophesied, we actually was here, we were here, this is the place, Toronto, and he came to me, 2019 in Toronto, our last equip here, November, November the same time, 2019, last time I was in Canada, 
we had our equip together. And he came to me and he said, you know, I think it was here. It was here. Or my, and he said to me, Tyrone, I had this dream. I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, prophets get dreams. I get nervous. So I'm like, okay. And he said, I, I dreamt that we were driving. He was driving a van, a vehicle full of people to an NCMI prayer meeting. And he said he dropped everyone off at the prayer meeting. He went to park his vehicle. And then he started walking to the prayer meeting. And then he realized that he had left his, his Bible and his notes in the, in the vehicle. So he went back to the vehicle to get his, his note and Bible, and his, the vehicle was gone. And he was not happy because his, his notes and his um, Bible was gone. So he was walking back to the prayer meeting, and he saw his Bible in the, in the, thrown in the parking in the lot, uh, and he picked it up, and he, and he came into the prayer meeting. We all came out and said, hey, where were you, and so on. Then he woke up, and this is what he said to me. Now, 2019, November 2019, pre-COVID. He said, I feel like the, the vehicle represents ministry or the church. And he said, and it disappeared. And let me tell you, I, I, I didn't even contemplate what he was saying. And he didn't contemplate what he's saying because he had no idea, just so you know. Thank you for, for honest prophets. And he said, but the vehicle represents ministry or, or church and it disappeared, was gone. He said, but I, uh, I believe what God's saying is whatever we're going into next requires us to be a people of the word. Because my notes were gone, but the Bible was there. And people of the prayer because we're on our way to a prayer meeting. I'm like, great, that confirms what I'm preaching about prayer. So yes, let's carry on. 2021, I read that thing and I'm like, oh my word. God told us the vehicle would be taken. So I phoned Ken. I'm like, Ken, did you know? He goes, no, of course not. I'm thank you. Okay. But, but I can't focus on the disappearing because now we have our vehicle back. But I want to tell you what we do need to focus on is the word and prayer. All right. Now, now, now that got my attention to say, okay, are we word? Yeah, we word based. Bible plus my thing. Bible minus. I mean, we are values. The word of God. That's it. But I went back to the word of God and I realized from Genesis, I read again and I felt the Lord challenge me. His word reveals his purpose. Now this is going to shock you, but the Word of God is not a bunch of random promises personal for you, which is how we present the Bible. Like you can buy Bibles and all the promises of God promises to you. Now I'm just going to tell you, that's wrong. It's not true. If you're running with promises that are not linked to God's purpose, you're not, can't claim the promises. God's not promising us anything. He's calling us to walk in His purpose. And when we're going after His purpose, then we can claim the promises. So we've got to relook at the Bible, not as a random book of promises personal to me when things are tough. We've got to get back to the purposes of God in every level of our lives and ministry and mission in order to claim any of those promises because they linked to His promise and His purpose rather than just to us as personal people who love Him. Are, are you there, friend? So we've got to stop. Can I just say the prophets? You know what? Thank God for the prophets, but the prophets got many things wrong recently. I don't want to throw rocks at them, but it's a good thing. Why? Because God doesn't want us to run to prophets to hear what God's saying. God wants us to go to God for what God's saying. And we believe in prophets, but prophets should be clarifying and and confirming what God's saying. And let me tell you where the prophets, I think, got it wrong, is they prophesied without linking it to the purposes of God. 
No prophecy can be held on if it's not linked to the purpose of God. Are we recording this? No, we don't have to edit. There's nothing wrong. I just want to know what, where to go here. But So the prophets prophesied Donald Trump was going to win the election. Remember that? If you didn't hear that, you heard that. It, and then he didn't. Okay? Something's wrong. Now, thank God we're not old covenant, otherwise we stone the prophets. But they all got it wrong. I've never, the big names got it wrong. And I'm like, what happened, Lord? And I'm like, you might not agree with me. I didn't say the Lord told me this. I just don't believe God really cares about who's in the White House. Jeez, how can you say that? That is like, no, show me that in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, that it matters who your government is in order for God to be able to do what God says He can do through His church. Now, while I'm talking about the White House, you've got some houses here you need to listen to. Yeah, throw rocks at America. Uh, Canadians, just so you know, God doesn't need a Christian government in order to do what God's called the church to do. I'm just telling you, you it helps, but it actually doesn't help because there's no guarantees anyway. So, God's not pacing in heaven going, gee, Donald Trump didn't get elected. Now what am I going to do? My solution, my whole world said he's our solution. Trump will be my trumpet. And God's like, I don't need the White House. I need my church to see her role. And of course we want Christian governments, but we need Christian Christians, not Christian governments. That's God's solution, not Christian government, Christian Christians. Some of you are getting mad. and Just read the Bible, not what the prophets will say. And I believe it's because they were not linked to purpose. That's why we got it wrong. God's purposes are not guaranteed through White Houses and governments. If you read the Old Covenant, God used heathen kings to serve His purpose. God can do whatever He wants. He doesn't need things to line up for God to do. We think, line this up, then God. God says, get on with what I've called you to. I'm not trying to downplay the need to vote, but don't. Every four years, we've just had another election a week ago. We're still waiting to hear what happened. That's just. And let me tell you, I've watched Christians again go in depression. And I'm not mocking. I understand it. I live in America. I can see the difference. Trust me. But God's not committed to those things. And we've been taught he is. So when you prophesy, this guy has to win, you're not linking it to the purposes of God. Come back to New Testament Scripture. We're in the new covenant. Same God, but God's got a new way. Come back to the truth. God's not looking for governments. He's looking for His church, His people. And God will do whatever He wants to do. So when you link the prophecy to the purposes of God, then we can claim that. But if we're all running around with purple, I mean purple, <laughs> promises, and I said it because some people wear red when the prophets are in town, so they get a prophecy. Let me tell you, if it's not linked, <laughs> sorry, sir, I'll call you Adam prophet. I'm not a prophet though. Are you with me? I'm not trying to downplay prophecy. I'm trying to bring it to its context. If it's not linked to the purpose of God, we don't have the right to claim it. That's the shift we maybe need in understanding the Word of God. Yeah, we're Word-based. We preach the Word, but we preach it as a bunch of promises to us. The Bible was not written to us. The Bible was written for us. And so if you take it out of the context of who was written to, you taking it out, they're not promises of God. The purposes of God is what matters most. And when we're preaching the purpose of God, then we can claim the purposes of God. Does that make sense, friends? It's a shift. Read the Bible for the will of God, not for the promises of God.
Lead God's people. Preach series on the purpose of God, not the promises of God. Because promise without purpose is not God's promise. Is that all right? We're about the purpose and plans of God. Amen. Um, see. Prayer and prophecy. Prayer and prophecy. We're about prayer and prophecy. And note that they're linked. A lot of people want prophecy without prayer. We need prayer and prophecy to be together. Prayer is us leaning on God. Prophecy is God speaking to us. We need to do the two. We all just want God to speak to us rather than we need to connect with God. Promises, prayer, and prophecy always link to the purpose of God. I believe that, and I hope you see that. Can I just say, complaining about a silent God with a closed Bible? It's kind of like saying, I'm waiting for a text with your phone off. Open your Bible and let God speak. Not through the prophets, through His Word. He's speaking, but we're not listening because we're not opening our Bible to hear what He has to say. Uh, thirdly, we're about power and presence. We need to be about His power and His presence. I believe God is raising up leaders who can be led, but led by the Spirit. His omnipresence and His manifest presence. I do believe this is a season where people are being led by the Spirit again rather than just led by another man or person. And uh, the early church, as we know, was spirit-filled, was spirit-moved, was spirit-sent, and it was spirit-led. We love the spirit-filled, we love the spirit-moved, we love the spirit-sent, but we don't like the spirit-led. But we need to be led by the Spirit if we're going to lead God's people to where He's called us to. John Calvin said, there's no worse screen to block out the Spirit than confidence in our own intelligence. May I just say this? I know we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this weekend and we're going to hopefully see more of Him manifested in our midst. But I just want to tell you who are on this thing. We don't activate the Holy Spirit. Okay, we don't need to activate Him. Let me just explain. The Holy Spirit is not a blessing from God. The Holy Spirit is God. God doesn't need us here on earth to activate. Okay, God, I'm activating you. Who? It, it, I it's just crazy. He doesn't need activating, just so you know. And if they're saying it, they're wrong. And I'm not judging their heart. They must just come back to Scripture. God doesn't need to be activated by people He created. So you don't need to activate the Holy Spirit, okay? Can I, can I say this? We don't even need to invite Him. Why? Because my Bible says He's here. He doesn't need an invitation. He's God. Do you know what He needs? Honor. Don't activate Him. Don't invite Him. Honor Him. If we honor God the Holy Spirit, watch what God the Holy Spirit can do. And you know, I've got statistics that are hugely troubling about North America in evangelical circles and church circles. And most Christians in America, North America, believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, but they believe that the Holy Spirit is non-existent. He doesn't exist. Those people are in your church. And the reason they don't believe it is because we're too nervous to talk about God, the Holy Spirit. And if He was just a blessing from God, then we can not have that blessing. But if He's God, which the Bible says He is, then what will we do with God, the Holy Spirit? He's no longer an optional extra for deluxe Christians. 
He's now God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Everyone believes in God the Father, God the Son, the Spirit thing. I'm not sure. A sideline because we're happier here. God the Spirit needs to be released again in His church for His church to function. We've got to come back to the Trinity and preach the Trinity, friends. Someone said, if you try and explain the Trinity, you lose your mind. But if you don't explain the Trinity, you will lose your soul. Now, I don't fully understand the Trinity, but I want to tell you, it's one God and three persons. It's not three gods. And the best way I can explain it is I'm one person. I'm a man, but I'm a son, I'm a husband, and I'm a father. Different roles, one person. We need to come back to the honoring and the understanding that the Holy Spirit is relevant, is needed, and we need to yield to Him afresh in order for Him to do what it is He said He's going to do. We've got to preach the Trinity again. Can I say this? The Holy Spirit is grieved when we don't believe God's Word. He's talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that's bad. But when we, He's grieved when we don't believe the Word of God. He's grieved when we resist His leading. He's grieved when we refuse to change. He's grieved when we, put, we don't put His will above ours, which we do all the time. He's grieved when He's not honored in our lives or our meetings. He's grieved when we're embarrassed by Him. Let me tell you this, He's grieved when we criticize His servants and speak evil of His servants, even if we don't agree with them. Like we said, social media, how did that work? Some say, well, you know, I love the whole spirit stuff, but I'm not sure about the unusual. It's kind of like saying, I want to swim, but I don't want to get wet. It's time to swim. It's time to get wet, and not weird, wet. And there is something unusual, because it's God. And if we can explain it all, well, then it's probably not God. I'm just telling you, Canada, you've had some moves of God in this nation, and we're not trying to recreate, but God wants to do a new thing, and it's going to require a people who understand Scripture, not feeling, not spirit, word and spirit, but spirit being God. And we've got to fix it by getting revelation from truth and preaching the will of God to all people, even if it's not accepted by the people. We need to be about the Spirit, His presence, and His power. I've said this, what would a church look like if it was built to attract God, not man? Think about that. It would look very different to the church today. If we were building to attract God, it wouldn't be the smoke machines, not anti those things. It would be a people pursuing God by heart. I want to build a church that is attracting God. Because can you imagine when people come, they're not coming to a show. And when shaking comes and we shut down and next to whatever, they're going to stay the course because they're linked to God, not linked to a man. We need to keep pioneering and partnering. Number four, I keep, I don't know what numbers you're on, but we need to keep on pioneering and partnering. We need partnership if we understand pioneering. If we don't understand pioneering, we don't need partnership. If you're just like, I need friends. No, no, you need partners in the gospel because we're called to pioneer. There's some ground to take in this season. Keep taking ground. We're not holding ground. It's time to take some more ground. There's a prophetic word that came from this country, from one of you. I don't know who it was. One of someone. I don't know. And they said this. We would go into COVID. They said that they had this picture. We were hundreds of ships on the sea. 
We all went back into the dock and thousands of ships came out. God hasn't paused what he's doing. He's multiplied through the seas. But now we've got to release and we've got to send and we've got to go. and We've got to take ground, step in and step out. And not in our own flesh, but in step with the Spirit. But God's taking ground and it requires us to take ground with Him. As a leadership, open your hand and let's declare. Blow the trumpet. Blow a certain trumpet. It's a season of taking ground. When maintaining is how decisions are made, leaders are chosen, ministries are led, money is used, prayers are prayed, and meetings are led, then the church's days are numbered. We've got to take ground in the season. So here's what I came to say. I'll give you it in a few minutes. Then we're having lunch, right? Quickly, some of the dangers of our season. Are you with me? Will you, will you stick with me? Come on, man. It's been three years or whatever. It's all, it's all the revelation I've ever had. It's just, no, just simple things. Dangers of the season. Number one, we've become the measure of our choices. We have become the measure of our choices. What I mean by that is we make decisions for God's people based on how we as a leadership team feel. And that's a dangerous thing to do when you call to lead God's people. Am I making sense? The decisions we make are based on us rather than on Him. I mean, if there's ever a moment we feel at our weakest and we have the least, and the lo- it's probably in this time we've got no money, no people, not what we had, we didn't, momentum... And, and you know what we do? We look at it, what we're going to say, can't do it. Right there, you are hindering what God's called your church to. We have to allow the call of God to determine what we are talking about and doing, not how we feel in a meeting or in a moment. And so I, I've sat with eldership teams, and I'm not having a go, but they make decisions on they tired, they weary, they fatigued. We're too busy to add another anything. And I understand that, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't add another anything because you're tired. What's the call of God? Because the moment you decide as a team, we're doing this because of us, you're no longer going to lead God's people into what God has for you. The call determines the call we make, not how we feel in that moment. Is that okay? I've been in churches, I'm in churches where they make decisions in that moment how they feel and we are all hamstrung to go on to what God has for us. We'll relook at it in a year's time. No, friend, now what are we called to? Let's make it big. Your capacity cannot determine your call. What we have does not determine our call. Right through Scripture, vision always precedes provision. And we like to have provision to determine vision. Even church planting. We've got churches being planted and we, we're about the kingdom. We need to plant churches in the season. Someone said, well, we need to bolster up and get stronger. You don't plant for strength. You plant, I mean, you don't plant from strength. You plant for strength. <laughs> but I've watched. We become cautious and careful. I'm not sure. God is calling His people to step in and step up. And it needs a leadership because you, in a sense, determine what God can do in your local church. So please don't allow yourself to be the measurement of the calling for the church. Secondly, we, we, another uh, hindrance or danger in the season, we won't make tough calls. 
It's easy to make some calls, but tough calls is, is hard, especially in a season like this, right? And let's be honest. We know that people have gone. We know people have left. We're desperately trying to get people back. Now to make some tough calls is going to lose more people. Make sure those who have left won't come back. And I'm just telling you, we've got to make some tough calls in this season. They're not going away. And the longer you let it fester, the more it's going to affect what God's called us to. There's some tough calls that need to be made. I think churches fail. I'll tell you why churches fail, because of being pragmatic, which I talked about. Don't seek imitation, seek revelation. I think they also fail because they please people. What I have found in this season is that we are all desperate to get guys back so we won't talk about the things God's called us to. And I understand. But here's what happens. Please note this. Every time we try to please people, the first thing that goes is mission. The first thing that goes. You know, I've been invited into churches since COVID-9. I'm going in. I've been preaching. I mean, America opened up after a few months. Say what you want about our, our pre previous president, but he didn't believe this thing was real, so we got to travel. It was great in America. And I'm not having a go. I'm just saying it helped us stay open for a bit. And we preached. And I went into churches and I preached mission. People were offended. I had pastors say to me, you're so insensitive. Seriously, how can you come talk about mission when we're trying to survive the season? And I was like, I understand that. I'm just giving you the word, not what I think. Don't talk about mission. Well, people say, how do we get people back in our churches? All the pastors find me. How do we get people back in our churches? We want to get them off the couch into the church. I'm like, the way to get them off the couch into the church is get them on the mission. They'll jump off the couch to the church. But if it's just about a gathering so you can offload your next revelation, they're not coming back because they realize they don't need the church. But if the church is on mission, then people will come back to church because we're about a mission. Yeah, but Tyron, we need to get stronger and get back together. I mean, we can't, how can we go to the nations if we can't even get together? I don't know, but he didn't say, hey, when you can get together, then go to the nation. He just said, crack on. Insensitive? Yes, very insensitive. When his disciples came to him in Acts chapter 1, and they, they said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember they said that? They were taking nationalism and politics and religion, and they were putting it all together. This is what we do. And whenever politics is in there, it usually wins. And Jesus says, not for you to know times or dates, my Father said by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, out of most parts of the earth. It's not about that stuff. None of your business. Don't get caught. Get back to mission. Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come vaccines mark of the beast here we go 666 antichrist and listen those are real things but jesus didn't get caught up in that he said that's not going to bring the end what brings the end is this gospel to all nations in other words come back to mission I'm just telling you, what seemed to be most paused is mission because we were not talking about it not because god wasn't about it so when you begin to please people, the first thing guaranteed that's gone and goes is mission. I'm just here to tell you this morning, we've got to get on with a mission in any season, whatever comes next. And if it's insensitive, it's the Word of God, not my Word. I would rather sit around and say how bad it's been and we love each other and let's have more coffee. But he said, crack on with my mission. Don't pause it. Get on with it. Is that okay?
And you please people, first thing that goes. You know, church for me is this. The essence of the church is to gather. We all want to gather again. But there's a reason to gather, not for the sake of gathering. We gather to grow, to go, all done in the glory of God. If you focus on gathering, you'll never go. If you focus on growing, you'll never grow. If you focus on going, your gathering and your growing will be automatic because you focus on going. So the purpose of the church is not to gather. Everyone's just like, I can't wait for Sunday so we can get back to being together. That's not the purpose. Jesus didn't die so we can gather Sundays. I know we know that, but it's essential. But if you move the focus from gathering to growing and not numbers, maturity. And can I just say, you want to know the level of maturity? It's based on the level of offendability. You want to know if you mature? How easy are you offended? And let's face it, we've seen some people being offended. I've been offended, Buster. Shows your level of maturity. Gather, grow, go. If you focus on the going and your gatherings and your growing is about going, all for the glory of God, I'm telling you, friends, I think our gatherings will take on a whole different dynamic of what God's intended us to gather. It's not a it's church is essential because we must meet on Sundays. Church is essential because we're a going people to reach people. You know, when you try and please people, you end up not liking who you become, just so you know. You don't like who you've become right? you fake. You're like, I'm not this. This is not who we want to be. And just so you know, no one's ever happy. So just crack on and serve and follow Jesus. The churches fail when we're not willing to call people to commit. I'm not sure if I can call them to commit. You're not calling them to. He's called a full commitment, all in. There's no half in. So you say, you want to follow me? It's going to cost you everything. Don't say, hey, well, give me a go. If you want to give it a go, let's try some new tricks. All in. It's an all-in now, friend. But you can't ask others to be all-in if you're not. If we're passive, church cannot, churches fail if we're passive, if we lack courage. You know, interesting, nowhere does the Bible say be safe. <laughs> Only be courageous. It doesn't say be safe. We go around, be safe, be safe, be safe. You shouldn't go there, be safe. And I understand we want to be safe, but no commands are be safe become our thing, be safe. And I want to be safe. And all right. Quickly, I'm landing, I promise you. We're eating at 12.30. We'll be done, I promise. Won't embrace change. You're not willing to embrace change. I'll just leave it there. I've got a whole text around what stops us going forward. But one of the things, the dangers of the season is we won't embrace change. Can I just say, thinking everything has to make sense before we make decisions is not going to happen. Also believing that everybody has to be on board about everything all the time, not going to happen. Also allowing those who've done nothing to, for him to dictate what we can and can't do for him, not going to help you. Listening and responding to every critic, not going to help you. Small things, a small prayers for small things, no. Big prayers for big things. It's trust for bigness in this season. All right, not willing to change. It's just number four, constant conflict. <laughs> Listen, the battle's blazing. We've talked about it, but the battle blazes within. I'm going to tell you, I believe there are one, two, three, four, five, five things we, every team should fight for. Fight for unity. 
fight for diversity. Not the diversity of our culture, diversity of scripture, different gifts, different people. Fight for unity, fight for diversity, fight for mission. Fight for each other and fight for our shared future. That's the fight we should be fighting, nothing else. Fight for unity. Fight for diversity. Fight for each other. And I don't say fight each other, fight for each other. Because we've seen each other fight each other, taking each other out. Fight for each other. In this room, fight for one another. We don't need you to fall out this race. We want to contend and ask how you're doing. The Bible's very clear of connecting and reaching out for it. Don't team guys have to do it. All of us fight for each other. Fight for mission. Fight for our shared future. I put in there before, our future. And then I felt the Lord challenged me, no, not a future, a shared future. It's one thing to have a future, but a shared future means I need each other. Then we have to work it out. Every local team should be fighting. Eldership team, deacon team, church team, marriage, whatever your thing. These are the things. Fight for these things and don't waste your time fighting for anything else. Number five, no charisma. What big danger of our season are we just rude? It's made us hard, friend. Hard-hearted people. I, I'm watched. This should soften our hearts. We've become hardened in it. I'm just. It's hard to lead God's people with a hard heart. You've got to have a hard head, but a soft heart. And some of us confuse the two, and we're just harsh and hard. And God's not putting us in there to lead His people harshly. Don't be fake. Don't be judgmental. So many leaders are so judgmental. How is it that when we become a leader, we become judgmental for everything? We judge everything. Got an opinion about all things. Stop. We're hypocritical. We're angry. <laughs> we're narrow. We're unkind. I know people who claim they're unkind because they are leaders. Like you're unkind. You're not even nice to people. I'm just a leader. No, you're not. You're a Philistine who needs a bit of circumcising of your heart, forgive me. But sorry, I just had to put it out there. Are you, are you with me, guys? Somehow we equate leadership to being unkind. So our culture does that, but the church will not be like that. We need kindness. Be kind. Don't be narrow-minded. I'm a leader. I've got convictions. So do other people. Their opinion do matter. Their convictions matter, believe it or not. I lead a team of incredibly opinionated, convicted, convinced, hundreds of men and women who have opinions about everything. And I can either have one person, me, be the all, or I have to listen. Not do what they want. Listen. Be kind. Your opinion matters. Your perspective. You're on this team. What do you think? Hello? Number six, no consistency is a danger in the season. We're up and down. Like your weather. Snowing now. As I arrive, it snows. I mean, what's going on? But anyway. But I mean, friends, honestly, you cannot. The danger of the season is no consistency and down. <sighs> Can I just say this? If you say you're going to do something, do it. Or apologize for not doing it. I've watched, if I can be honest to some of us older people, not the old, those of us older, 
When you make promises to another gen- the younger generation about anything and you don't do it, you're losing your credibility quickly, quickly. As much as I'll call you this week and I don't. And it might be simply an oversight of administration, but your credibility is on the line with this next generation. And then when you stand up to tell people we're going to take the world for Jesus and let's cross the Jordan in full flood, they're not going to listen to you because your credibility is whacked because you're not committed to being consistent in what you say. That simple. Am I making sense? It's that you might say, oh, it's an oversight. It's not perceived to be oversight. It's your character is in question. We stand up and say, we're going to take up an offering for something and we don't give it to something. Your credibility is done. If we're going to take an offering and we're going to use it for a building and we don't use it, but we pay a salary, you best let the people know what you're doing because your credibility, you'll never get entrusted with another cent if you're not being truthful with your credibility. Does that make sense? I'd rather say nothing than say things and don't do them. It's that important, especially as leaders, because people need to know they can trust what you're saying from the pulpit. Well, then you better do it privately. I've got three sons who live in my house still, and I watch these guys get let down by church leaders regularly, and it's good for them to learn. You know, my one son, just between all of us and the world, is listening, but... You know, I've always preached about who hasn't been hurt by the church, put your hand up. And he kept putting his hand up. I'm like, okay, that's great. He said, Dad, I've now finally known. I've arrived. I know what it's like to be let down by the church. Oh my gosh, that's tragic. Probably better before he's leading his own church. But I've watched them be let down regularly by leaders. I've got to stay out of it because it's not my battle. But I'm telling you, the credibility of those leaders, when they want these guys to run through walls with them, it's going to be hard. And I've tried to warn those guys, just, if you tell me you're going to call them, you tell me you're going to call them, call them. If you say, let's do coffee on Tuesday, then do coffee on Tuesday. They're waiting. You say, we're going to get you to preach next week, get them to preach. Or if not, tell them, we're not going to use you, rather than they sit and wait, prepare. You know what I mean? It's like, I know, well, they need to learn. Yeah, but just not by you being their teacher. They have a Holy Spirit who will teach them. Your credibility is on the line. When you call for help, you're going to find the guy's gone. Am I making sense, friends? If I tell you something, I'm going to do it. If I don't, I'm going to apologize. But not just pretend it didn't happen. I want you to trust what I say if I say it. I'm not perfect in this, but it's more than an administrator. And my admin, because of global stuff, is difficult to remember things. It's mostly it is oversight, but I want people to know when I say something, I'm going to do my best to do it. Let that be the case for all of us. No credibility. Are you trustworthy? Are you trustworthy? And lastly, we lose our conviction. Man, I'm amazed how our conviction's been lost. That's why I started with 1 Corinthians 16. Hold on to your convictions. Again, none of us lay down our vision for any man, okay? We've got to stop saying, I listened recently to one of our team guys preach in another country, and I had to address the guy, I'm not having a go, who said, you know, if you want to be part of our, you lay down your vision to pick up our vision. He was trying to explain ministry and how to serve together, and I had to say to you, dude, it's, no one asks any man to lay down their vision for any man's vision. 
I don't want to lay down my vision to serve another man's vision. I lead NCMI. It's the greatest privilege on this planet for me to do that. I've never once told any person, in order to come on my team, you have to lay down your vision for my vision. Because this vision we're running with is not my vision. What I say is you need to lay down your vision as I've laid down my vision so we can take up his vision together. This is an eternal thing. It's a God thing, not a man thing. If it's a man thing, you lose your conviction quickly. If it's a God thing, you stay convinced in it regardless of seasons. So I'm just going to tell you this. We've lost our conviction, and maybe it's because we've been running with a man's vision or a person or a church rather than God's. But if we keep it God's, we will always run with conviction. Don't ask anyone to lay down theirs for yours. Let's all lay down ours for his. That's the strength of what we do. You with me? Good? Great season ahead? We've got one or two minutes. Quickly, anyone want to give us what God's done in this season for you? Listen, quickly. I know you're all preachers, but quick. No preach, just. Yes. There you go. Go with what God's given you in the moment. Just do it. Don't complain. <laughs> That's a good lesson right there. Yes, sir. Huh. <laughs> there you go. Huh? What a mess we become if we don't love our enemies. Yeah, well, there you go. That's going to be a lesson. Sir, shout, please. God loves us and He likes us. Gee, that's profound, isn't it? I might love you, but I don't like you. Is that what you're saying? I, it's that truth. Eh? What else? Yes, ma'am. Can you shout? Yeah, that's good. That'll save your life and ministry right there. Please let us learn that, even in the easy times, in the good times, not just hard times. What else? Come, There's a wealth here. We've been through something none of us ever had gone through before. Yes, ma'am. Fancy that, eh? We had a friend who passed recently who stand up and say, look around to everyone and say, every time he preached, it's not about you. Remember Mike Hanchett? Oh, wait. That's probably a good prophetic word right there, right? What else? Yes. Mm. Hmm. Wow. Sorry. Yes, sir. See, I took that to realize that, huh? Let's realize that again. It's a good word. Yes, sir. And he's shot. Yeah. Hmm. Good. Yeah, Kevin. Huh. 
Yeah, difference, big difference, eh? One more. Okay. Let's stand, guys. We're going to just pray and then go and eat. It's incredible, wonderful to, to just lean on each other in a sense and hear what it is God's saying. It's not going to be through one person. It's going to be through all God's people. We want to be hearers, but we want to be doers and responders. How many know God doesn't speak for the sake of speaking? He always speaks for the sake of adjustment, change, and for us to do. And... Uh, and we can just lift our hands, okay? Can we do that? I just would love to pray over us just uh, into the season we're in. I don't think it's a new se- next season. We're in the new season. Although it requires us focused on what's to come, we need to realize it's not one day, it's now. And Father, I thank you for these men and women. We take heed to that scripture that you take hold of our hand. You're doing a new thing, not our thing, not a thing, your thing. I just pray for a fresh, fresh anointing, a new anointing. If there's new things required, then it requires us to lean more on you into these new things. We don't want to run with things we know. We want to run with the God we know into the things that are unknown. And so, Lord, I pray it's not just business as usual. It's kingdom stuff. It's true, not fans of Jesus. It's followers of Jesus. It's... You are true to your word. You've promised, and we have your backing if we're proclaiming your word. And you, Holy Spirit, are not an optional extra when we need you. You are the one we are. What God planned for us, Jesus purchased for us. But you, Holy Spirit, personalize that in us. I just pray a fresh anointing, a newness, an openness to truly being Led by you, Holy Spirit. Spirit filled, Spirit moved, Spirit sent, but Spirit led. We don't just do what others are doing. We don't even imitate others in this room what they do. We just honor you and ask you to lead us through these seasons. Help us to let go what needs to be let go of and let us embrace what's to come, we pray. We bless you this morning, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for these faithful men and women who've stayed the course. Thank you that we haven't just hung on, that you've done many things. And we want to walk in those things. Not talk about it, we want to walk in it. Commit these next few days to you, Lord. Would you do only what you can do, not what we can come up with. Just you being God amongst your people, doing what only you can do, we ask. Let your purposes be fulfilled these days together. May you unite us. May we contend for unity, diversity, for our shared future, for our mission. May we contend for one another, for each other, as we walk in the bigness of what you've called us to. Thank you, Lord, for this time and season. Bless this church as they host us. Bless the people who are feeding us. And may all we do bring glory to you, we pray. We love you, Jesus. You're awesome. You're wonderful. You truly are worthy of it all. We thank you that you picked us for such a time as this.
And we bless you in your mighty, mighty name. Amen.